Saving your pennies for a $10,000 Apple Watch? I am going bottom of the line. because <laughs> Used. Uh, used. <laughs> refurbished. Please. We need to call them refurbished. <laughs> if I could get one refurbished, I probably would. My my philosophy is that, particularly with the with the early ones, just to be um, price conscious, because uh, you know I, I'm not you know I, I am not completely sold on the benefits of it yet, and I don't want to dump and and I think that the next you know the the ramp up is going to get is steeper in the beginning. I'm fascinated by it because I I think it's so much fun. I think it's a f- it's it's a very fun time to be in our racket of talking about Apple <laughs> right. and writing about Apple because nobody has any idea what the hell is going on. And yeah. I love it. I really do. I love that we're all just lost. And I'm I'm not pretending that I'm not lost. I'm completely lost. I don't know. <laughs> like why? I'm and, told, and you're you're I'm, lost because why? Because well, you just, because I. Not- sure of what it does yet or <laughs> exactly i'm compl- it in terms of like pricing aside like let's just assume i'm just getting the aluminum base model because i'm a skeptic uh and you know and i feel like if i love it maybe i'll get a more expensive one next year or whatever um i still have no idea why i would want to wear it i really don't like, do you, you know you, I, do I wear a watch for time you do wear a watch though yes yes yeah um I have I, I've worn a watch forever, and the battery died on mine like right before Christmas, and I was like, "Well, screw it! I'm not going to spend fifteen bucks on a battery. I'm going to wait until April." <laughs> so I have not been wearing one <laughs> since uh, slightly before Christmas. Does it drive you nuts? How quickly did you get used to it? I I'm, it I'm still I still nuts. would rather I like to just look at my hand for the time. I've I've worn a watch since I was I don't know fifteen. 14, 15, yeah. sometime in like middle school. Yeah. Did you ever have a pocket watch? <laughs> no. <laughs> my grandfather did. <laughs> my grandmother had given me a pocket watch. So I care. So for a while I had a pocket watch. <laughs> Embarrassing facts about me. Uh, they were very cool though. I don't know. It was not the way I did it. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's no. There's I think no. Kotke <laughs> had a piece a couple years ago about how the. And I totally understand, like, all the people out there, I'm sure that probably 70% of the people listening right now are all thinking the same thing, which is, I don't wear a watch because my phone's with me all the time, and I can take it out and get the time from the phone, which is I, I totally valid. It's just, right. and maybe if I was a kid today, that's what I would do, that I, you know, never develop. It's just that I have the habit. I've, you know, 20, 20 some years of wearing a watch every day. I mean, it's a hard habit to break. Kotke had a piece, I think, I think it was Kotke a couple years ago where uh, he just, you know, pointed out that using your smartphone as your watch is pretty much the exact same mechanism as, uh, uh, you know, our grandfathers with their pocket Mm -hmm. watches. It's in your pocket, you take it out, you hit a flip a thing and you got the time and you put it back. And I'm not, you know, it works. I just, I, I, I feel like it's a distraction with my kid around. Like the minute I get my phone out, it becomes like a, like a, oh, let's, you know, what's going on on dad's phone? <laughs> what's, what games does dad have? And what <laughs> can I, can I play with right. dad's phone? And so, uh, it seems like a watch is a little easier, although I'm not sure like a smartwatch is going to be much better. <laughs> I think that will be a whole different series of distractions. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, it's I never was impressed with the the notifications using the Pebble, but 
you know, maybe the fact that you can interact with them here will make a difference. I don't know that you could in a pinch, you can dictate, you know, a reply using Siri. I'm, I'm still unsure. Anyway, the two, so there's two reasons that I feel like I'm totally lost. I still don't quite get what it is that I would like about this. Um, and number two is this whole addition model. I, I, I totally think it's going to cost thousands of dollars. I totally don't understand how they'll sell a thing for thousands of dollars that presumably is going to be, you know, outdated in three years. Technically, I don't get it. Like, I totally think they're going to do it. I totally don't get how that works. It's going to work. Yeah. And your, your view of the price points, remind me your view of the price points. So we know that we know the, the aluminum one, 350. You think the stainless one is going to be a thousand. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's my yeah. ballpark, and I've been thinking about it. I think, but I think it could be something like, like that. It averages to a thousand because, like, let's say, yeah. like, if you get the stainless with a with something other than the metallic band, maybe it's like seven hundred dollars or six six forty nine. You know, six hundred fifty bucks for the stainless to start. But if you get the one with the metal band or that mesh metal band, maybe it's like eleven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a lot of people who know nothing about watches who are like, well, why in the world would the metal band make it cost five hundred more dollars? But if you look at the way watches are priced, that's that's actually pretty typical. Like the metal bands on a premium watch are crazy expensive. Yeah, yeah I don't. I've uh, some people I've talked to seem to think that the stainless one will be like five hundred bucks, but I don't think so either. That doesn't seem like that's. I mean, I only think that works if you're trying to upsell. Um, and I don't think at this point they will be. Yeah. I think that they, you know, they, and it brings up another point with something that almost, I haven't seen anybody talk about is, are there going to be storage tiers? Is there going to be like an eight, 16, 32 gigabyte split? I, I don't think so unless it corresponds to the materials. Like if sport is eight gigabytes and stainless is 16 and addition is 32. Mm hmm. But I don't. I can't see how they would do aluminum at eight sixteen thirty two and keep adding fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, it seems too confusing. At that point, it seems too, way too confusing because you've got all these. You know, it seems like all of the choice you have to make is about what colors you want and what bands you want. And then if you multiply that by two or three with storage tiers, it's you know it's, it's insane. At least to start with, though, the apps are basically almost like shells for things that are going on on the phone, right? The apps right. that you'll add anyway. Um, yeah, the only thing that I could think you'd need storage for right now, the third party, I mean, but they said though, they've already announced that there will be a full quote, full SDK right. later in the year. So there will be some space that you'll need right. for apps. Uh, but it's so, so even though off right off the start with the initial SDK, they're kind of thin, thin apps that just c- communicate over the air to your iPhone apps. Um, let's presume that later in the year means that, you know, obviously this year. So you're going to need to put apps on the thing. Um, it has the photos app, but I would guess, right. That it's going to be there. You know, if it's, if it's only one and a half inches big, they can shrink the photos before they sync them over to your watch. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't (laughs) think much point in having them. Yeah. I, I don't think that you're going to need a lot of storage for your photos and, um, I, what else is there? I guess music, music is the other right? Time. Yeah, right. So it's just audio. So 
you know, I, I don't think you need a lot of storage. It would be still be nicer if it was 16 instead of 8, but I don't know. Yeah. But nobody's really talking about no. that. I know. Yeah, I lived with a 4 gigabyte iPhone for two years. And, you know, it was pretty tight at the end, but back then it worked. So. Yeah, especially if you didn't need a lot of music. Yeah. My tastes are simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right now it's movies, it's video, right. and uh, all the mega AAA iPhone yeah. games. Oh, the oh, so, so the other thing to, that I wonder about is if there's a... I'm, I was leaning towards getting the smaller one because I don't have a very big wrist. Hmm. <laughs> and I've traditionally gotten... Like men's watches, you can you often get in like a, a smaller size. I don't buy ladies' watches, but you can get a men's watch in a smaller size. And I was so I was leaning towards the smaller one, but the only thing that makes me wonder uh, is is if there's going to be a big difference in battery life between the two. Yeah, and I, 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 whether there'll be a price difference too. I mean, I, the price difference. Yeah, would I was assuming be. there would not be, but that's possible. Yeah, I I don't know, and I guess in the edition model there almost certainly would be, because even though you're not yeah. really paying for the gold, you know, like the the gold is just a fraction of the price. I think. Uh, it's still, I feel like once you're into premium materials, you kind of have to size, you know, you have mm-hmm. to pay by the price. Right. And the other thing is I, I've always, I mean, it just, the smartwatches still are huge by and large. I mean, the ones that are out right now are gigantic yeah. and it's the ones, you know, the Android wear ones are very large and the large one is not too much smaller than most of those. Whereas the small one is fairly significantly smaller than those. And I yeah. had I, I had a Motorola 360 on my wrist one time, and it was it was way too big. Uh, yeah, it's definitely pretty big. I, although you have to, it, you know, I, the first one I saw in real life was uh, uh, I r- ran into Andy and Notco at the airport on the way out to the uh, uh, the iPhone Apple Watch event. Actually, he he was flying through Philly. He like Boston to Philly to SFO, and we were on the same flight. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like, this is weird. That guy looks just like Andy. <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, it is Andy. Uh, so he, you know, he's you know, it's it's just serious sized man. Uh, it looked okay on his wrist. Totally looked okay on his wrist. Okay. It it looked goofy on me. Yeah, it doesn't look good on me at all. No, it's pretty big. Not much looks good on me, but that definitely did not look good on me. Yeah, it's not huge. It's not goofy. It's just, it's big, though. <laughs> it was pretty goofy on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because you know that a millimeter is very small, right? A tenth of a centimeter is, you know, one millimeter is pretty, you know, give or take. Um, and so you see all, you know, watches are always sized in millimeters. And it's, you know, you see that this one's 39 and this one's 42. And you think, well, that's probably about the same size. But, like, a, it's not true. Like, a 39 is sort of like a traditional men's wristwatch size. By today's standards, a little small. And 42 is actually kind of a big watch. But, like, the really big ones, like, people are selling, like, 46-millimeter watches. Yeah. yeah. The pro- I think part of the problem with the Motorola 360 is just that it's a, it's a cylinder. Um, it, it doesn't. The yeah. edges aren't graduated at all, and so it it just sits right up on top of your wrist all the way around. Yeah. So it's not so much it's not necessarily the the diameter as it is the, the design or lack thereof. Yeah. Now I think it's a, they've totally, and I know that it, looking at them on the web, it, it's it's 
you can't tell that it's so much smaller than the competing smartwatches. But once they're out in the real world and people can compare them side by side, I think the difference is pretty striking. Mm-hmm. And who knows what that means for battery life? I mean, clearly it has some kind of, you know, some kind of hit on battery life because the you know bigger is bigger bigger watch has a bigger battery. Yeah. And famously, everybody is saying everybody who knows anything about the you know the rumors of the watch, ev- you know, everybody's saying the same thing that you know battery life is a huge concern. You know, right. and they're obviously very cagey about it in their what they've said publicly. What do you what, do you think that the that them getting all these people from Tesla is related to just battery in general or or I don't know are enough you saving up for your Apple car. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I it, I don't know enough about battery technology even though I should because in 6th grade uh my science fair project was about batteries. <laughs> uh since then though I've fallen You should dig it up. You should go go back and uh I have fallen way behind <laughs> on my understanding. Like, I have no idea whether somebody who is an expert in this sort of big battery that you would need to move a sedan right. for 300 miles would have any kind of expertise that would be applicable to the sort of battery you want in a, you know, seven millimeter thick phone. It strikes me as kind of like a Jobsian thing to do to hire somebody who makes <laughs> who makes a trunk sized battery and tell them okay now just put that in a watch i would i'm thinking probably it is probably you know somebody who's an expert on one can can quickly get up to speed on the other um it might be it's as likely as anything you know who knows i think that there's such a crazy um uh boom or 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 you know it's uh uh it's a seller's market in Silicon Valley. If you're a talented engineer of any sort, it seems, mm-hmm. you know, so I think, uh, you know, who knows? It may not even be that specific. It may just be, you know, there's a bunch of smart guys at Tesla. Let's try to steal them. We need, we need more yeah. smart people. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but the, you know, I guess that the, you know, that's the other thing, um, that broke at least since last I had a technical talk show is that the the journal i guess the wall street journal was it who's more or less said flatly that apple has what over 100 people working on a car right it seems like a lot of people for it's you know still secret project yeah i guess i don't know yeah, it does i don't have no idea how many people it takes to make a car it makes even less sense to me than not that i would not that they wouldn't you know like i think that the basic gist of um in broad, this is why the rumor I think catches people's imagination. Because in in a broad sense, it feels basically like it could be true. Because um, cars are a market where a there's a lot of them, so there's a lot of money to be made. B, it's a market where design matters and has always mattered. Everybody accepts that design matters in cars, right? There's not it's mm-hmm. not like with the computers where people you know for years would say you know Apple just wastes money on design. Uh, everybody just yet, you know, the same people who would say that would, you know, will spend, you know, three days picking out their new car because they, you know, care about it. Uh, so design matters. And three, it feels like it's, you know, technology is about to revolutionize the industry. You know, people are talking, clearly there's the switch in energy from, uh, gas to electric and, uh, there's the whole self-driving angle. Yeah. As well as the just the interface 
interfaces that you interact with inside the car. Yes, yes, exactly. Which they're already involved in. Right. Right. And it's, you know, it all goes hand in hand where the cars are getting more computerized inside. Um, I mean, it's, they've been computerized for a while in terms of things like when the anti-lock brakes kick in and, and stuff like right. that. But I mean, like the user, inter- you know, what you deal with, you know. Yeah. Have you shopped for a car recently? No, I have not shopped for a car since December 2006. So last time I shopped for a car, uh, the iPhone wasn't even out yet. Yeah. It's, cr- I mean, some of that stuff is crazy. I, and I, I was going from, I, so I bought a new car in December and I was going from a 95 Integra. <laughs> so, so I was not prepared for that level of screen in your face inside, uh, cars today. And, um, and I had an idea of the kind of cars that I, you know, I had, picked out certain cars to look at and my first reaction was just like oh my god there's just i mean there's there's two not only is there one big screen there's two screens in this car and to do anything you know you have to be tapping a touch interface in order to like increase the airflow in the car and that kind of thing and i was just like i don't that (laughs) A, a i was not ready for that coming from an old car and B, I just don't think, I mean, for well, there's actually, there's like B and C because B, I feel like driving, I would rather have some touch you know, some tactile elements and C, the interfaces that they make for these things are so bad. I didn't want, you know, I wanted to have as little commitment to that interface as possible. So I ended up getting a car that had this really, I mean, had the smallest screen that I could get, but you, you know, basically in a certain class of car, you kind of have to get that kind of screen screen with a crappy interface jammed into it yeah i'm worried about that about getting a new car yeah because i feel like now it's no when we got ours in 2006 we had the option to upgrade to a navigation system and i turned it down because i thought it looked so terrible and it wasn't the you know it was like 700 extra bucks or something like that um i turned it down not because i didn't think the navigation would be useful but just because i thought that this it without the navigation they just put like a and, you know, like an old school radio thing that takes up the space. Like the screen isn't still there. So everything on nothing in our car has a touch screen. Everything is a dial that yeah. you twist and I like it. Right. And then my wife complained, Amy complained for a couple of years because every once in a while we'd go somewhere where we needed directions and you know, we didn't have a navigation. Before the system. phone. Yeah. Right. Um, and then once the, you know, and then that wore off, you know, I forget at what point the phone became a, a, a decent uh, navigation system, probably by like 2010, right? Something like that. That seems about right. Um, so, it, you know, I think in the long run, it worked out as a good decision, but I don't know what I'm going to do next, but it is true because it's like you, you know, guys like us who lifelong Apple users, like we expect our computers interfaces to be Apple quality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even at their worst, like pick the worst eras, you know, like Mac OS 10, 10.0, uh, or something. It still was better than, you know, it wasn't ugly and it wasn't yeah. confusing, you know? Right. And I, I, I mean, I had my car for 20 years. I had that previous car for 20 years. I drove that thing and I, I wanted to possibly have the option to drive this almost as long. Um, and the idea of sticking with some of those systems that I'm, you know, feel like they're going to be obsolete in a year doesn't seem like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a good way to win that game. No, it doesn't. Um, let's take a break, and I will thank our first sponsor, 
and it's a new sponsor uh, named Automatic. Have you heard of these guys speaking of cars? I have heard of Automatic, yes. It's a great segue. Um, Automatic is a small connected car adapter. It plugs into your car's diagnostic port. Now, every car has one of these, every modern car. Uh, actually, your old car didn't. Every car since 1996 has one of these ports. So it's a good thing you got rid of that piece of crap. <laughs> uh, actually, I know it wasn't a piece of I love the old Acura Integra. <laughs> actually, I love the Acura Integra. But it was one year too young. Well, anyway, your new car has one. Every car has it. It's, it's a diagnostic port. And when you take your car in for service, it's what your mechanic plugs, you know, their diagnostic stuff in. Um, and it has all sorts of information. Well, you, it's just, so this automatic, it's just a little dingus you plug in and you keep it there. And then you pair to your phone and it connects your car, uh, to the internet. So what does it do? You can use it with their free mobile app, right? You just pay for the dingus and then you get a free app. Um, and if something like your check engine light comes on, right? That's just a light that just means something is wrong. Take this to an expert. Well, if you've got automatic, you could just fire up the app and it'll tell you in plain English exactly why the check English check engine light is on. You know, maybe it's something serious. Maybe it's something silly. Um, and if it's something silly, you can use the app to clear the light. If it's a small problem right there from your phone, you can just say, ah, stop bugging, bugging me about that. Uh, log your trips and parking location so you never lose your car. That's pretty awesome. So you go to the airport, you park in a parking garage or something like that. Um, you don't have to like take a photo or write down what, what your spot was. Um, the automatic does it for you automatically. Uh, even with gas prices as low as they are right now, uh, your driving habits can be costing you hundreds of dollars per year. Automatic scores your driving and coaches you to drive more effective, efficiently and save. Um, so they're fans of the show. They remember back in the day, Merlin brought this up last week on the show, back in the day when I uh, had my driver license taken away for driving 90, <laughs> 90 miles an hour on the freeway. Uh, and our friends at Automatic say, if I had Automatic, it would have warned me that I was driving too fast and I wouldn't have lost my license. Uh, now, their default is 70 miles per hour. They give you a little like a tingle or something like that when you hit 70, but you can customize the speed. Uh, so I'll I would turn that up to like 89. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I told Dan back in the day. I don't sure. drive much, but when I do drive, I like to drive real fucking fast. Uh, <laughs> automatic can give you a warning. Uh, and crash detection. If you get, this is say, God forbid, you get in a terrible uh, car accident. You get in a car accident. Automatic can detect that and automatically call for help for free. Uh, a human will even stay on the line with you until help arrives. Just call them right in. Um, it, they've got all sorts of new stuff, crazy stuff. They've got integration with Nest. So if you've got Nest um, at your house, you can get it set up so that when your car gets close, you know, your thermostat goes up or down or whatever you want. You can connect it to things like that. I, I can't get into it all here. You can connect it to Twitter, to Google Docs, uh, connected home devices like those Philips Hue lights, all, all sorts of cool stuff. It, it's amazing. Um, uh, I think they use the if this, then that uh, to, to do that. You go to if this, com slash automatic and find out more about the cool automatic things you can do. Here's what you do. So what does it cost? This probably costs like $10,000, right? Just like a gold edition Apple Watch. Nope. <laughs> Ninety nine ninety five. What? Hundred bucks. Well, then they're going to soak you on the subscription fees, right? Wrong. There are no subscription fees. What? You just buy the thing for ninety nine ninety five. Hundred bucks. Stick it in your car's diagnostic port. 
get the free app and you're done. That's it. And let me tell you this, that's the sucker price. Listeners of this show, you get 20% off. So you can get the thing for 80 bucks. Go to automatic.com slash talk show. Automatic, they just spell it the 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 regular way. No funny spellings. Um, for your Steve Jobs fans out there, automatic.com <laughs> slash talk show. Buy the thing for 80 bucks, 20% off, and just stick it in your car and, and start having fun. So my thanks to them. 80 bucks. I can't believe that. that That's crazy. It, honestly, you know, it's like in the marketing, there's always or, – or, or, there's always those that 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 branch of marketing that's and it's all over the web these days. You know, like uh, this this one silly trick will make your mustache grow thicker. You know, um, you know that that. But it does seem to me like this diagnostic port. I didn't know anything about this. This seems like this diagnostic port on every car is like a serious like they don't want you to know secret. Yeah. Right. Right. Like you can get all that information on your own, but they want you to come into the dealer for and pay six hundred dollars for the privilege. Right, because if the car, you know, if it if the car knows why the check engine light came on, they could easily, especially like we're and it ties right into what we're saying. Where modern cars all have real screens, so they could put any text you want on it, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, buy this thing. It's like you're a sucker if you don't have it. And you know what? And it's 80 bucks. You know that your car dealer, if your car dealer gave you this as an option, it would be like $800. It would be like an $800 <laughs> option to have the smart car. 80 bucks. This is, I, this is the most amazing thing. Um, I don't know. What do you, do you think Apple's working on a car? I, I don't, I mean, it seems to me like one of those things, like maybe, you know, maybe they, they're working on a lot of things and maybe that's one of the things they're kind of going, eh, you know, yeah, that's we sort try of try this and see, see what we think. I mean, it's also just possible that the car that they're driving around is just full of like Apple uh, CarPlay stuff. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if it was like just Bob Mansfield's group and just like <laughs> to blow off some steam there? They like just bought an old screwing thing. around. Yeah, they bought an old Chrysler minivan, but they put it on the company's dime so that if anybody looked up the license plate, it would say it was registered to Apple, you know. Apple Incorporated, right? So it's like they paid for it out of petty cash because what they're saying it's like a Chrysler minivan, so it's probably yeah. like fifteen grand. And then they just went to like Home Depot and just bought like a whole bunch of PVC piping and made made some crazy thing <laughs> on top. <laughs> and, then, and then just let the rumors let the rumors stop start. <laughs> like it's nothing. It's just like some all that it's being used for is some intern going out to pick up sandwiches. <laughs> And but here, go out and pick up some lunch. And by the way, drive this car. Yeah, <laughs> and drive real slow. <laughs> <laughs> don't go. Don't go more than ten miles an hour. Oh, that's the type of shit that I would do. That see, that's why. Oh, yeah, that's why. Unlike Chris Breen, I'm never getting hired by Apple. <laughs> All I would want to do is waste money on shit like that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great job at Apple? That actually would be something. Like, you and I could do this. Like, we would just start a team that would be like meant to just fill up the rumor blogs with Decep deception. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god, we could have. That's a lot right. Of fun that's with that's right in my wheelhouse, man. Oh my god. <laughs> just <laughs> I should I should call Schiller. <laughs> <laughs> we would just pick projects. Just pitch that. Just pitch that to Schiller. Pick projects that are 
plausible enough that you could get nine to five Mac and, and Mac rumors and, and Apple Insider to run with them, but that are goofy enough that we would, <laughs> we would never stop laughing. Oh, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have to say that the fact that the, that the supposed car that's been caught on a road is a Chrysler minivan <laughs> really makes me I think <laughs> that that might be going on right now. <laughs> and they're right. just laughing themselves silly because it just seems like something like like you would have started by saying well we'll do it in a uh like a prius like doesn't a prius seem like the like the default car you'd start with you know it's already electric it's yeah you know it's it's there they're all over the place in california and, and then as somebody would have the idea no let's make it a minivan <laughs> That's the thing I found. I even wrote this on the on the, the Fireball site uh, that with the Wall Street Journal report that there got a hundred people working on a car that they said that it's a looks like a minivan. I find that very hard to believe. I find that hard to believe too. Like I don't find it hard to believe that they might have some kind of super early prototype that looks like a minivan. But that's not what they said. They're saying that they're working on a car that looks like a minivan. You know, you know, like they always say, like this story is public knowledge. We can, and we can get to the whole Johnny Ive New Yorker thing, but it's it came up there. I think it came up in the jobs book. It came up all over the place. We're like the very early prototypes for what became multi touch was like a like projected on a desk, and they had like cameras. Of, I don't know. It was it not, looked nothing like an iPad or a, a phone. It was big and it would yeah. like project on a wall. It was because the sensors were you know weren't miniaturized yet yeah um you know i could see that the car some kind of car that they intend to ship in 10 years might look like that now because they need to fill up the back with all kinds of crazy stuff that they'll worry about miniaturizing later but i can't believe that they're working on a car that would actually look like a minivan no because <laughs> they would i mean they would work on their, their car would be whatever the most i mean there's Starter car would certainly be whatever the most purchased type of car is, and that's not a minivan. No. I mean, it seems like it would be like a four-door sedan. No, and they couldn't bring themselves to make something that wasn't beautiful. Right. (laughs) You're saying Chrysler minivans aren't beautiful? (laughs) (laughs) Making somebody a Chrysler very sad right now. It'd be funny if it like drove Schiller out of the company because it's like he just you know all right I'll stop wearing my good nice watches and wear this Apple Watch but if if you want me to stop driving a Lotus or a Porsche and drive a minivan just because Apple has one forget about it I'm out taking my Porsche and my yeah and my whatever Uh, else he drives down to the Cayman Islands yeah he yeah he drives good cars Uh, Johnny Johnny obviously has a few cars yeah. And, but uh, Williams yeah. <laughs> drives a, an old Toyota Camry. Old, old Toyota Camry. Yeah. I get Which the, I think yeah, good for him. I mean, I think that's great. I get the keeping feeling it, that keeping it real. Jeff Williams is like, like a two thirds clone of Tim Cook. Like there's like a two thirds yeah, right. central. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they used to say there was a profile of Tim Cook of, sometime in the last year or two where, where he apparently drove a very old car for a very long time. You oh, know, that's and, right. I remember that. Um, you know, it was like when they said about what a mystery, you know, what a mystery was even to the people who he worked with, you know, on a daily basis, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, for those guys, it's all about efficiency. 
Yeah, it just feels like inefficient. Operations. To, yeah, yeah, work in operations, and you want everything to run efficiently. And if you get something that's working great, just keep riding it. Yeah. Not me. I would, uh, you know, I would probably, if I had the, you know, Apple executive type money, I would probably be more like Steve Jobs, though, where he had the one car, you know, you know yeah. that he put a lot of thought into it and he had one car and it was awesome. Uh, but he was turning the lease over like every three weeks or something. Yeah, right? that's supposedly that's <laughs> like he, that was, that was supposedly how he got away with the never having a license plate was that he never had one for more than it's like, there's like, you got like 90 days before you have to have a license plate. And so like every three months, somebody would have to drive his Mercedes to the dealer. And I'm sure they just had one waiting. It's like a box of tissues, you know, they just, <laughs> <laughs> Pull another silver Mercedes SL50 with the you know precise interior right out of the box. Boom! Then he's he's got it again. <laughs> right? I couldn't see. I could never see being a car collector because I could see buying one really nice car and then I would drive it everywhere. But I would want to put all my effort into making that pick up front and picking the one that I that I love. Um, I, if I had even two, I don't know how I would make the decision on any given day. I, I it would, it would know which one to drive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I uh-huh. like not having to make decisions like that. Yeah. I feel that way now that I have, to, I have like two good cameras. I have one that a Canon that's bigger and a little, you know, still a little bit better and more flexible because it has multiple lenses. And then I've got this uh, Fuji, X100S, which is delightful, and it's that retro, you know, sort of looks like an old rangefinder. Beautiful camera, a lot lighter, really, you know. And unless I know that I'm going to be walking around with it on my neck all day, I know I want the lighter one. But there's a lot of like school events and stuff where it's like I don't know which one to take. And then I think, why did I buy a second camera? Now I'm sitting here, you know, <laughs> ten minutes staring at two cameras. Well, I get. I mean, for those guys, I guess it's just that's the fun of it, yeah. right? That's part of the fun is like. Oh man, I drove the wrong car today. I guess I don't know. I should have driven the. <laughs> Maybe I guess too yeah, famously, you know, right? And I guess if they break down all the time because they're all finicky Italian sports cars, you know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> also part of the fun, right? <laughs> you know, it'd be funny too because I guess the assumption is like, like look at like Apple Watch. So there's variety, but there, you know, there's just one shape. You know, two sizes. Imagine like what the parking lot at Apple's new headquarters oh will look like like three years after the Apple car comes out when everybody's driving the <laughs> same model car. <laughs> I presume that they'll just bake in some kind of app that tells you which <laughs> which silver Apple car is yours. Where's my silver Apple car? <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. I look look forward to that problem. Yeah. So the big problem one of the big problems with cars and Tesla famously is running into it all over the country is that there's this bizarre well it seems bizarre in hindsight. These bizarre r- laws, they're not even rules, they're laws about how cars are sold that there there's this dealership model. And I right. forget the explanation. It makes sense historically and doesn't make sense in the present day. But the reason why all cars are sold through these independent dealers, um, that's like the law. And Tesla doesn't want to get involved with that. They want to sell directly. And they have to go like state by state and get stuff 
um, you know, make it legal. Right. Like New Jersey. And, 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 and yeah, like New Jersey, right? They right. haven't, they just don't sell them in New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, New Jersey, it seems, <laughs> it's, you know, it seems like some Sopranos type guys have some of the action in the car dealerships <laughs> and there's sort of a, yeah, you were, you yeah. come, ain't going to be selling your little electric cars here. <laughs> The same guys who run the gas pumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have we talked about that? I feel like you and I have talked about this on the show. This is the craziest uh, Maybe, thing. yeah. So for those of you out there who don't know, have never been to New Jersey. In New Jersey, it is, it, all gasoline is pumped by a professional. <laughs> there is no... Uh, Oregon's you know, the same way. Oregon's right. the same way. Yeah. Is it really? So the, yeah. well, are you West Coasters know what you're doing? Or, or know what I'm talking about? So... I, I think most people around the country, when you pull in a gas station and it says self-serve, you're like, well, why? You know, of course. Well, guess what? New Jersey has no self-serve. Not There's no option. It's legally, you have to have your gas pumped by an attendant. Um, and I don't know, it was three or four years ago, they got it a, as a state referendum. Um, and I thought, whoa, great. This is great. Because I go to New Jersey sometimes and I thought, this is great. I'll finally be able to pump my own gas. Uh <laughs> Uh, nope, <laughs> it <Yes> lost. <laughs> New Jerseyans <laughs> voted overwhelmingly to keep the law on the books. It's like Stockholm syndrome. Like they're afraid to pump. <laughs> they're afraid to pump gas. They see it as some kind of luxury. I mean, I don't I, know the guy. The, the The last time I pulled up to a gas pump in New Jersey, uh, which was last summer, um, the guy called me boss. So that was that was pretty, that was that was kind of nice. Well, that's actually in the law as well. They oh, they have to say that. Okay. Well, there's a, you know you have choices. They can call you boss. They can call you chief. Chief, yeah. I was trying to remember if it was boss or chief actually. Yeah, and uh, and they can call you hoss. <laughs> I think you have to pay extra for hoss though. Yeah, but they can definitely call you chief. They can call you it's boss. Extra, it's an extra five cents a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> Fill it up and and go ahead and hoss that. <laughs> Absolutely, hoss. Yeah, that was a slogan actually. When I was a kid, it was a slogan in the, uh, at Hess gas stations. Hoss it at Hess. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I don't know. Those guys will be out of a out of a job if we're all driving Apple electric Apple cars. <laughs> so i don't know i mean anything that apple does in this would have to you know go through the same uh uh rigmarole that tesla's going through um who knows i don't know i think it like yeah. you said i think it's you know a maybe kind of sort of someday thing and they're just looking into it yeah particularly if it looks like a chrysler minivan right now i mean it's obviously not <laughs> it's obviously not ready to go onto the showroom floor anytime soon all right the self-driving thing, I do think it's coming. I have no idea when to think. And it's obviously not imminent. You know, it's, it's, uh, but it feels like something that could be like, you know, we're not going to have to wait till we're old men. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get to this in 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's, yeah. Cause it's a, you think back 10 years, I think back 10 years and I think about like the laptop I was using. It's pretty astounding. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I, maybe it's always that ten years is you know gives you a lot of eye openers in technology. Probably does, but somehow while we're still on the other side of the iPhone being ten years, it really feels like right now, like twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. It's a, the the 
what life was like 10 years ago was pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. 2015 might be the big one to me, especially as an Apple nerd, just because there's no iPhone yet. Uh, we're, Macs were still power PC. Trying to think what else. Yeah, titanium. I think I was having a titanium power book back then. Yeah. It might've still been iBooks. Um, yeah, yeah. They still had they, the plastic. Those first plastic iBooks were still being sold. And the nicer uh, plastic ones, the ones that were available white and black were, were MacBooks, I believe. Right. MacBooks and MacBook pros. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those were all Intel. Right. And they were nicer. I think. I think. Right? Yeah. So I think I still have, I probably still have that laptop here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got them all. Cause I'm a hoarder. I'm looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there. I have a problem. <laughs> It's not funny. I have a problem. Yeah. I, I can't wait till we all retire in the old folks home and we're all just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need all this extra closet space. You going to copy a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Syracuse has got a bunch of stuff too. I don't you have, I got you bet I got a copy of tiger. You know what though? I don't have any old desktop Macs. Like I don't have like an old, uh, uh, I got my G4, you know, like a Mac classics frame mac or anything like that oh no i got yeah i got i got one of those <laughs> i got two actually yeah two i got two of those if i were gonna buy one if my wife listens to this she's gonna have a shit fit <laughs> uh i would want to buy an se30 se30 is the one uh, that yeah makes my heart yeah. race i have an se um it's not a, it's not a 30 but i do have an se because that was that was my first that was my first mac and it's base it's it's basically the same Machine, which I, you know, I bought for $2,000 in 1990 used. And then, uh, years later, I still had all the floppies and I had sold the machine a long time ago. And it's like, I want to, I want to try these floppies out again. So I bought another one. I bought the, basically the same thing off eBay for a buck. <laughs> I've got my floppies somewhere. I know I didn't throw them out. I, I cannot believe that any of them would still work. They used to fail when they Dude, were new. Yeah, I know. That's a great, Yeah. <laughs> Most of them still, most of mine still work. A lot of them do fail though. <laughs> they used to fail brand new. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they, it was just like the ones and zeros were just little pieces of dust stuck to the disc <laughs> by static electricity. <laughs> <laughs> we're only one megabyte, but we're more reliable than zip. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I did remember that though. That reminds me though that the other thing in that the the Wall Street Journal had a couple of reports this week, and the one was about the. Uh, um, I think I wrote about. I think it was such bullshit. This thing that the Apple Watch, you know, like at the last minute they took out all. It was supposed to be like a fitness health device, and then they none of the none of the sensors worked, so they yanked them out and had to redefine what it was for. Um, it, it, but it did say that I don't know who knows. I think it was so poorly sourced. Who know even knows if the number even came from anybody who knows what the hell they're talking about, but that the, uh, Apple watch gold edition is expected to sell for 4,000 or more, which would make it uh, the most expensive product they sell, you know, I've ever sold or something like that the, compared to the, wrong. to the current Mac pro. And I was thinking yeah. what you thought, I thought about the kid in college who had the Mac two FX that, that was like a $10,000 computer at the time. Yeah. Uh, 
it's like no that is not i remember when like the cheap ones like you said like an se was 2000 my yeah. my mac lc was like 2500 yeah. <laughs> i mean you know and then there you've got the 20th anniversary one which i forget what that went for but that was over ten thousand dollars at least right my parents spent more on my computer that twenty five hundred dollar lc than they spent on the college (laughs) (laughs) it was crazy expensive everything was crazy expensive i remember when i wrote that somebody on uh uh twitter wrote that they had a 2ci at the time remember the mac 2ci was that the the road apple one or was that it the Mac two CI was it was right down the middle of the road. It was uh, the type of desktop you could. I think it was you could you could put it both ways on your desk like a PlayStation. You could have it standing up, okay. or you could turn it on its side and put like it was perfectly sized for the thirteen inch display. Um, I I would hold it up as I think the greatest Mac Apple ever made because they it was in their lineup for like five years like. Like around ninety or ninety one, when it came out, it was a high end machine. Like right below, like the two FX, like five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars, something like that. And they kept it for years, you know. And it would just drop down. It was sort of like the first, you know, like what they do with the phones now. Like mm-hmm. the next year, it just stayed and and sold, you know, because it was still it was like such a good machine and so fast at the time. It was a great, great, great computer. One of my friends in college had one and loved it. Mac 2CI. But anyway, someone on Twitter reminded me about how expensive RAM was back then. Like he said he had a two got a 2CI in the early 90s and spent $5800 on RAM. Oh my god. <laughs> People have no idea how expensive computers yeah. were in the 90s. And then guys like us would just wonder, why isn't everybody into computers? <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter? $5800 on RAM. Because of course, like the default, it was like a six thousand dollar computer in nineteen ninety one, and it, I, I bet the default config was like two megs, two megabytes of RAM. <laughs> Just terrible. Yeah. I think my LC had one one megabyte of RAM. Oh, really? By default, and eventually, yeah, at some no, point, that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah, at some point over the years, I scrimped and saved and got it upgraded to ten. Which was I don't wow. know. doesn't yeah, even make yeah. any sense. Jeez. Maybe it had two. Maybe it had two to start with. Maybe that was it. It had two soldered on the motherboard, and I could put you could add two four megabyte chips and get it up to ten. I don't know. Somebody could look it up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, um, let's take a break, and then maybe we could talk about the uh, the Johnny Ive uh, yeah. mini book in uh, the New Yorker. <laughs> um, let me tell you, it's our good friends, our next sponsor, it's our good friends at Squarespace. You guys know Squarespace. It's the all-in-one, build-your-own website platform. You go to Squarespace and you can do everything. They host your website. They give you all the tools you need to design your website. They have templates that you can start with, so you're not starting from a blank slate. They have all sorts of, I don't know if you want to call them apps, if you want to call them features, things that you can add to configure your website drag and drop interface. Everything is WYSIWYG, very, very visual. You do not need any sort of technical expertise to do it. If you do have technical expertise, though, you can get into the code, you can inject your own JavaScript, stuff like that. Um, 
the new Squarespace 7, which just came out at the end of last year. You can find out more just about this, these features. Go to squarespace.com slash seven, S-E-V-E-N, um, and find out more information about the new stuff. Um, but just tip of the iceberg. Here we go. They've got integration with Google Apps now. They have a partnership with Getty Images. So if you're doing the sort of site where you need uh, stock photography or stock illustration and stuff like that, uh, you could do it right through Squarespace with their partnership with Getty Images. Uh, new templates, uh, they have things called now cover pages, or if you want to have a site, um, like if it's like a business or something like that, where you want the front page to be sort of like a cover, where you have to click to go through, uh, you could build that now. Uh, just really, really great stuff. Everything is beautiful. That's the thing about Squarespace, is they really, really have the, the, the eye for design and everything from not just the templates that you build and what people see when they visit your site, but your interface as the person behind the site, the stuff you use to configure it, uh, really, really beautiful and elegant design, attractive and really smart UI design that really helps you understand what's going on. Uh, 24 seven support via live chat and email. They don't have telephone support because who wants to talk on the phone? Just do it by chat. So much easier. Um, and here's the thing. You get all of this. World-class hosting, world-class design, all these features, eight bucks a month to start. And you get a free domain name registration if you pay for a whole year in advance. Everything's responsive. Your website scales to look great on uh, everything from an iPhone 4 to uh, an iPad Plus coming out next month or whatever. Uh, everything's going to look great. Every site comes with commerce. You don't have to pay extra for that. So if you have stuff to sell, you want to sell stuff online, just go there. Uh, so where do you go to find out more? Go to squarespace.com slash Gruber, my last name. And uh, when you sign up, go there. And here's the thing. No credit card. Just start building your website. Uh, you get like 30 days free. And you could just do everything. It's unlimited, 30 days. And then then when you sign up, use this code, JG, my initials, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. So if you sign up for the whole year, you can save some serious money with that. So use uh, that code, JG, when you sign up. Uh, and I thank Squarespace for their continuing support of uh, the talk show. Great friends of the show. Um, so the New Yorker piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, 17,000 words almost by Ian, Ian Parker on Johnny Ive and, uh, and the, the design team at Apple. I'm almost through it. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. It was funny. I didn't know. I didn't do like a word count at first. I just, I, I woke up and there was a lot, everybody was tweeting about it. And I thought, Ooh, this is intriguing. Um, cause it was very clear right from the opening that this was written with their, you know, Apple's and Johnny Ives, uh, uh, participation, cooperation, uh, which in and of itself is maybe the most interesting and intriguing thing about it. And it literally took me hours. I, <laughs> I started thinking like, am I, have I gotten slow? Am I, am I addled? Why is it taking me so long to read a magazine article? <laughs> uh, and then I counted the words and I was like, wait a minute, that's like a third of a book. Because yeah. a book is like sixty thousand words. Truly extraordinary. You got to wait. You got to wait to Act Three to get to you. Yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> I had actually had no idea. 
that was a total surprise. So like two thirds of the way through the article, like 12,000 words into it. Uh, uh, yes, that uh, there was a mention, a quote from me. Uh, and I, I have to say that was like a total, I mean, I'm used to people quoting me and seeing my name, but in the New Yorker, it was kind of a surprise slash shock slash thrill. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. I wouldn't know, but I would think so. <laughs> oh, you they didn't, they didn't, they didn't quote you. <laughs> I don't think I'm in this. It's very strange. Wait, I'm trying to find a URL here. I probably should have loaded this up before uh, starting. It'll take a lot of load. <laughs> My dick Skype down. Here's where it, I was hoping that. Here's what it says. Uh, this is actually an interesting point. This is like the type of thing yeah. I like to talk about on talk show. So it's at a point where they're talking about Apple Watch. And that they've hired uh, Angela Arntz from Burberry and Paul Denive. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name. Denive, former CEO of the Yves St. Laurent Group, uh, Patrick Pruneau. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. From uh, Tag Hauer. Hope I'm pronouncing Tag Hauer right. Hoyer. Tag Hoyer. All right. Tag Hoyer. Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, I didn't know about the second two. I mean, obviously, I knew about the first. No, one. I knew about him, and you know, I, I I think I knew about that from Ben Thompson because Ben is really really knows his shit about the luxury industry. Okay. Like LVMH is such an interesting company, right? That's they're like a huge luxury conglomerate. The LV and LVMH is uh, Louis Vuitton handbag suitcase mm-hmm. luxury shoemaker, and MH is uh, uh, the I forget what the H is. Oh, H is Hennessy, like the was that cognac? Yeah, one of the few 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 boozes I'm not really that familiar with. And the M is Moet, M O E T, the champagne. Right. So it's handbags, <laughs> champagne, <laughs> handbags booze. expensive cognac, and uh, watches. It's a very, <laughs> it's an interesting conglomerate. Uh, but yeah. yeah, they hired a watch guy from there, and he was a guy. His job at Tag Hauer was, or Hoyer was, uh, he dealt with their like retail liaisons. Like he wasn't like a watch designer. He wasn't from like the creating of the watches. He was one of the guys who dealt with their, you know, like which jewelry stores are going to sell, you know, which watches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what are they, you know, negotiating that sort of stuff. So it's an interesting hire because there's uh, circling all the way back to the things we don't know about Apple Watch. Uh, if, if we're right that the the high end edition is going to be let's say four five ten thousand dollars something like that, how and where are you going to buy it? Because the Apple stores as they exist today are not the sort of place where you go and spend ten thousand dollars on a watch, no. right? You don't yeah. buy them in a noisy cacophonous room where you know. Right, you're not going to do that thing where you you prepay and you come in and pick it up and just walk out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> charge it to my phone. I'll take this one. Yoink. <laughs> You imagine if they were just up there, like like yeah. right next to the Apple cases, to the phone cases. There's just a bunch of watches you just pick up, <laughs> sitting out there. Right. Well, uh, that's a, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, they're 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 redesigning the whole store experience, right? Well, that's I mean, that's a thing that we don't. No one's really talked about that much from what I've seen, and and we would probably be talking about like crazy if there weren't this other thing going on. Um, that is really the reason for that thing. But supposedly they're they're really going to redo right one of the store looks like. one of the nuggets dropped in this article is that johnny ive is working with angela arntz on a i think it said complete redesign of the stores yeah i think so um 
But that that does not seem like something that's going to happen before April, at least not nationwide no. or worldwide. Yeah, right. And it's just like that's, that's not the thing that you can just do <laughs> in every store uh, overnight. Right. So there's been, you know, speculation. But a lot of Apple stores, like the one in Philadelphia, has an upstairs that you don't – it's not part of the retail experience. And they, they call it – now they call it a business center. Um, and I know for a fact that, like, in the Philly one, they do things like um, – like if a company in Philadelphia buys a bunch of Apple stuff, you know, like switch, like an office that's switching right. from PCs to Macs, you don't have to buy retail. You can go there. Like Marco's often talked about this on ATP. Um, you know, he, he, he does it and he's a, you know, one man company, but you start a business relationship with them and you can get like developer pricing, you know, like discount pricing. Right. Right. Well, they um, used to have, and that used to be a whole separate arm. Right. Um, and then they did a reorganization six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. Yeah. And they moved all that stuff under um, the retail right. side. Uh, so like in the Philly one, they, uh, you go upstairs and they have like area where they could do training. They can have everybody in your company. You can pay, you know, they'll, or I don't even know if you pay, you know, you, you, you buy like all these Macs and then you can have like a, a half a day of training and stuff like that. Um, and they have, you know, it's just like a meeting area. Cause like the day where the, when the Philly one opened, I, I got like a press invitation to just attend, to take a look. And they gave us like a behind the scenes tour and we went up there. It's just, you know, like exactly what you would think if, if there was a conference room in an Apple store, that's what it looks like. It's a table that looks like one of their tables, but it's big and there's nice chairs and Apple style lighting and et cetera. But anyway, the stores that have that area, clearly that could be repurposed as a quiet, removed um, place where you spend $4,000 on a watch and try on, you know, multiple straps and stuff like that and see what you like, right. you know. Um, but not all stores have that. The ones in malls, shopping malls, don't have the luxury yeah. of having like a right. second floor. So maybe, right. you know, it could be that maybe the the addition model won't be sold in every Apple store. It might only be sold in certain ones. It might also be the case. I don't. I don't know if they would do it or not. But maybe they'll. Maybe that's why they hired this tag hoarder guy. Maybe they'll sell them in jewelry stores. You know, places that sell Rolexes and Omegas and you know, etc. I suppose that's possible. That seems odd. Yeah, but the whole idea of because a four thousand dollar. Yeah, watch. but then they're like they're they're removing the you know they're they're giving that hands-on experience to somebody else. Right. But I mean, it, it almost gets you. I mean, obviously they still, they still do that kind of thing, you know, because they sell their phones and carrier stores, et cetera. But um, that kind of personal touch seems like something they want to keep to themselves. Yeah, I guess you would think so, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe, but maybe where they also also, you know, it's sort of like the way that, I think that that's where they want you to buy your iPhone, but they'll also sell it in the carrier stores and they'll yeah. sell them at Walmart and they'll sell them at target. The, but the problem with those places though, is, is most of those people work on commission, don't they? At like Walmart or you mean, in no, the no, stores? no. At, at, at the jewelry stores. I would presume so. I, yeah. I, and I don't know that they're going to want to, I don't know. That seems like that's a whole nother different, that's a whole different. Like I said, way I don't of doing way of doing business that I would be surprised if they well, want to. Again, I, I don't know. I love it. Yeah. I really yeah. don't know. I feel yeah. like it could go either way. I feel like they could sell them only in select Apple stores. I feel like they could sell them, you know, in the watch stores. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, back to the article. It says, uh, in parts of the world already filled with smartphones, that price may give the Apple Watch the graduation gift appeal. That, according to Brunner, 
Brunner is a industrial designer who used to be above Johnny Ive, I think at Apple when he started and right. had since gone on to beat beat consciously sought with its high headphone pricing, but Ive's solid gold models innocently named Apple watch edition are expected to cost many thousands of dollars. John Gruber, an influential Apple blogger, has written that the price may be, quote, shockingly high, dot, 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 from the perspective of the tech industry, but perhaps disruptively low, italics, they even carried my italics over, <laughs> from the perspective of the traditional watch and jewelry world. I like that I got italics into the New Yorker. <laughs> They're writers, I don't know if they're allowed to they use don't italics. Use it, they don't use it much. No, not the way I do. No. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Um from the perspective of the traditional watch and jewelry world. I wish that he had quoted my line that it's that, that when the price of the edition models is announced, it's going to be the biggest collective shit fit in the history of shit fits in the tech industry. Cause I feel like I still feel confident that that's the line that will stand up, stand the test of time as being prescient about the Apple watch. Yeah. But this may, I mean, th that quote makes a point that is um, salient to what, um, he's talking about right there. Right. Well, here's, here's why I've thought about this and I, you know, cause it's my name and my quote, it's very interesting to me because clearly Ian Parker had complete access to Johnny Ive and he talked to a bunch of other people at Apple. He talked to Tim Cook. He talked to Bob Mansfield, talked to Jeff Williams. Um, and it, it was months in the making. It involved, I think he, it seems as though he traveled to England to talk to Johnny, Johnny's father. Um, you know, he, he just the sort of thing that the, like the New Yorker is one of the few publications in the world that can do this because it's expensive, right? It's expensive mm -hmm. to do this kind of reporting. Um, he had access and he has all sorts of interesting quotes that you don't typically get from Apple executives. Surely he asked them about watch pricing and there's nothing in here. He doesn't say that he did, but he must have, right? And they, must have said no comment. We're not going to talk about pricing at the time. Right. But maybe like, did he come up? Did he quote me because he, you know, he reads me. Yeah. Right. He's or it's plausible off, deniability or off the record. Did they, was it, you remember with the Steve jobs, uh, we think John Gruber's piece on this was insightful and not negative. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they said off the record, you can't quote us, but we thought John Gruber's piece. But take a look at this one. Yeah. Yeah. We thought his piece on the pricing was right. insightful and not negative. <laughs> I really wonder about that. If, if that was something that they, they said, we can't talk about this, but you should look here. Yeah. That's certainly possible. Right. That's the, to me, it's, it, it's the stupidest sort of like four levels of indirection confirmation, but the fact that he had such access to Apple and even he it, it points to the addition watches being, you know, quote, many thousands of dollars uh, is the, to me, the surest thing. It's more sure than even the sort of back of the envelope math I've been doing on daring fireball with just the price of gold and how much gold is actually going to be in the thing. Um, more, even more convincing than that is that if Ian Parker, who's so juiced in, says multi many thousands of dollars, um, it must be. Yeah, I would bet on it, but I keep I then I just keep cycling back to what all the naysayers say, which is, come on, they can't charge thousands of dollars for <laughs> a watch that's going to be outdated in a couple of years. Well, that's the thing; it's the it's the outdatedness that that kind of throws a wrench into it because 
if if it is the kind of thing that you're going to have to replace in two years, yeah, then the, that price becomes except somewhat, somewhat untenable, right? Well, except, but it's like you and I are. We keep going back to thinking like logical human beings who have some <laughs> semblance of you know <laughs> rational control over our finances. Uh, whereas there's a lot of people who don't, right? <laughs> Which is strange for us, right? Right, like in a weird, perverted sense, if it if it does have a time, you know, a a, a, a what's it, a, you know, a timestamp, you know, a, a shelf life. If it does have a shelf life of just a few years, it almost makes it more of a luxury. It, it, it might be more ostentatious to buy a ten thousand dollar Apple Watch. <laughs> That's only going to be useful for three years than it would be to buy a fifty thousand dollar Rolex that will live, you know, be you know, be a value long after you're dead, right? Like the fifty thousand dollar Rolex that becomes a family heirloom is still fifty thousand dollar watch, but a ten thousand dollar watch that is going to be going in a desk drawer in three years is super obnoxious, right? <laughs> That's right. I tweeted. A few days ago, like or a couple of weeks ago, I guess, like Apple, like 2010. Hey, check out this guy who made that I Am Rich app. <laughs> and then a, then a pause and we should make a watch like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, like what a jerk. And then like, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe there's something to that. <laughs> and the laughter just suddenly just trails <laughs> off uncomfortably. Start, start buying gold. Oh my god! Speaking of which, I I hadn't thought about that guy in a while. But sh- I hope he's making an iPhone app or uh, Apple Watch. Uh, app. Oh, you know he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and then the the article mentions. Oh, you have um, you have an edition as well. Well, I have an edition, <laughs> and then you suddenly pull your sleeve back, and you've got the I am rich app on your <laughs> on your watch. Do you have one of these? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any gray poupon? Um, I'm trying to find the name. I can't remember the name of that uh, horrible company that makes the really expensive phones. Oh, I know Virtu. Virtu, Virtu, yeah. And it mentions it mentions Virtu in quotes. Somebody is saying, uh, uh, like, what's that guy's name? Bennett. Bennett. Yeah. Um, as saying that, I think it was him that. Uh, Johnny was very interested in that company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it was because he liked their phones. I think. No. I think the interest is that he li- enjoyed. That people were buying them. Right. And they're still. I really thought that they were going away the dodo once the iPhone came out. Because the whole right. idea was that in a world full of crap phones, you could have the best phone because yours was made with le- leather and premium materials, even though it was running the same $15 Symbian, you know, <laughs> chips on the interior as like a, a $30 Nokia phone. Um, I mean, it's true. I mean, it used to be, they've, they've since spun, I mean, Nokia doesn't even exist or it doesn't sell phones anymore, but it, when Virtu was created, they were just a. It was like they were to Nokia what like Lexus is to Toyota or Acura is to Honda. They were like a, you know, premium luxury subsidiary brand, but they just used the same, uh, you know, like the way that like an Acura TL is has like the the frame of like a Honda Accord. Mm-hmm. It was yep. you know like take the case apart and it was exactly the same as certain you know each each Virtu phone corresponded to a corresponding Nokia phone. And they just put it in premium 
products and sold it for like five, six thousand dollars. Right. And they did have the other thing that Ver, I guess that Virtu still has is they have like this concierge service where you can like if, <laughs> I, I guess what you do is <laughs> they'll look things up for you on the internet. Because yeah, because <laughs> your phone can't do it. It, re- <laughs> it really does seem. It, it, <laughs> It it sounds to me when I've read about it that it really does the whole idea of the the concierge predates um, the idea of apps. It's sort of like you remember right. how everything in the Flintstones had uh, like a biological component. You know, like there was always oh, like yeah. a, <laughs> like like they'd put something. It's, it's like it's the they'd put it in the pelican. microwave, but the, it's the pelican. The microwave was really like a turtle with a couple of matches who would <laughs> create a fire, you know, underneath the food. And yeah, that, that you know everything had like a thing. That, that that's what the Virtu Concierge service was. It's like so like today. It's like if you and I were like, hey, let's go get a steak, and we'd open open table, and, and it would be like. Bloop bloop table for two eight thirty tonight steak. You instead you press this button on your Virtu phone and talk to somebody and be like, I need a table for two at uh, <laughs> you know Morton Steakhouse eight thirty, <laughs> and then they do it. Um, <laughs> that just sounds terrible. Uh, it really does. But anyway, I thought that you know uh, once the iPhone came out and clearly you were not getting the best phone in the world. You were you know the best phone right. in the world was you know yeah. six hundred dollars. Um, that they would quickly go the way of the dodo, but they haven't. They're still around. They outlasted uh, uh, Nokia. Yeah. Uh, that quote was from Clive Grenier, who is a friend of Ives, who said that, who is also said, uh, he's always been a bit bling. Yeah, which is a little worrisome. Because then you start to worry <laughs> that maybe it was Steve Jobs who kind of kept the bling in check. check. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, let me look it up. I have some notes from this article. The lines that really stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, any any article that quotes Big Bog Mansfield is automatically he was so article. he was so comfortable. I thought Mansfield in this. At least yeah. he comes across it. Whereas Jeff Williams, this is my favorite line in the whole whole article. I I didn't want to go through and just spoil it to for people on Daring Fireball. I just want to. Pe- I, I think it's so well written. Um, to be yeah. truthful, I'm insanely jealous that he had got this access and that he took advantage of it and and you know came up with such a great article that to me is so accurate. Um. Where does it say here? Is it the pause? Yeah. Me, yeah. Um, uh, it's such a great sentence. All right. Here's is Ian Parker writing. I asked Jeff Williams, the senior vice president, if the Apple Watch seemed more purely Ives than previous company products. After a silence of 25 seconds, <laughs> during which Apple made $50,000 in profit, he said, yes. <laughs> that is that is such a it's two sentences but it's the it's the best paragraph about apple yeah. i've i've ever read i think because clearly jeff williams i mean it's to my knowledge he's never spoken to the press before uh clearly he is instant he's been at apple a very long time you know since i i think late 90s um and He's obviously not comfortable and rather than, you know, when Apple people, you know, he knows enough that if he's not going to be comfortable rather than Babylon, it'd be better to just sit there say much. Yeah. Take a 25 second pause before saying yes. (laughs) 
And that little aside, during which Apple made $50,000 in profit, I think it's brilliant because it to me it's not snide it's it's to me no it's no it's it's like filling the pause yeah yeah it fills the pause and it also just reminds you of why this is of interest why this company is of interest why this company is worth this much attention you know it tells you the scale that they're operating at yeah you know, it's it's just a nice little reminder of scale, like to fill in for you know, like the Jeopardy theme song. Yeah, there's there's a lot in the article. Yes, uh, that is pretentious. I mean, that comes that can easily come across as pretentious. All right, example. Oh well, um, you know, Ives comments about um, other people's cars while he's driving around in his Bentley. Hmm. Yeah. And what's his name? Our good friend. Uh, and, and the fact that, I mean, you know, the simple fact that they're just, they're crazy rich. I mean, you know, all these, you know, most of these guys are filthy rich and, you know, he's got a, he's got a plane. He was buying 11 room houses in England, you know, that were built in the 1700s or 17th well, century. Our, our good friend, Dan Lyons jumped on this. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Did you see? I did not. You did not see? Oh. Not on, no, I don't think he... I, I, no. I mean, I, I try not to pay attention to him anymore. Really? I thought that... Uh, I thought he was done. It, I, where is he writing now? Is he... <laughs> he's he, out at Ballywag, right? Yeah. No, but I thought so because he wrote that he his his back was giving him problems and he couldn't blog. Uh <laughs> And he's writing a book, and so like a month after he took over Valley, you cut your you cut your whole thumb off, and you still blog. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I I gotta tell you, if if you, ha- I mean, I feel, I you know what, I do not like the the man professionally. I don't, um, but I don't wish injury on anybody, and so I certainly hope, uh, in all sincerity, I do hope that that whatever's wrong with his back gets better quickly. Um, I don't, I don't, wouldn't poke fun at that or any kind of medical problem, but. I do have to say, as somebody who who blogs professionally, I have to say, if you have to have a job where you get a bad back injury, this might be the job to have. <laughs> like you could keep going. Yeah, yeah. I would say my yeah. I would say my finger injury where I couldn't type. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would have traded that for a back injury any any day of the week. Yeah, I would think so. Anyway, though, he wrote. Um, he wrote a piece for Valleywag. Apple design boss John John Ive. This just shows. I, I swear. I think Dan Lyons is losing it. I mean, you call him Jonathan. You can call him Johnny. Who calls him John? Nobody. And I, as far as I know, in the history of the world, nobody has ever called him John. Uh, John Ive gets chauffeured to work in a Bentley. Uh, this is crazy. This is his lead. I mean, this is seriously crazy stuff. There is surprisingly little to be learned about Sir Jonathan Ive in this 17,000-word piece in The New Yorker, except this. The fucker gets driven to work in a Bentley Mulsanne, a car, quote, a car for a head of state, as Ian Parker puts it. How can you say there is surprisingly little to be learned about this? Oh, my God. Yeah, there, really. There's almost too much... To to cover it's almost yeah. crazy yeah and that the it's one thing he takes amazing away, unprecedented access that one detail this is back to dan lines that one detail says it all if you want to know who wields we- the real power at apple look no further the molsan starting price is a tick over three hundred thousand dollars and can go higher like if you get the special gray poupon refrigerator i guess 
but the price is not the point. The point is the chauffeur. His name is Gene. There's no word in the article about whether Ive makes Gene wear a uniform, and if so, whether Ive designed the uniform himself, and if so, if he selected his driver by making a few dozen candidates line up and pose to see which one would look best in the uniform that Ive designed, and or which ones would agree to have plastic surgery to make themselves look just so in that uniform and hat. But you get the idea. John Ive is off the fucking rails, and the only person who could rein him in is no longer among the living. So it's like, do you know how many people? I know so many people who in a, who work in San Francisco whose part of their job get free Uber. It's like the most. It's like a super common perk nowadays. It's because like driving sucks. So there's all. It's like a super common perk as you job hump to get free Uber, and you just you know. Which is not quite the same as having your own personal chauffeur in a three hundred thousand dollars car. But guess what? John Ive is a billionaire. Right. Like he owns. Like you said he bought Steve Jobs' private jet. Right. So if you own a private jet, <laughs> I think owning a three hundred thousand dollars car is actually uh, not not crazy at all. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean, it, you know, the guy the guy earned the money. It makes sense for him to spend it the way he wants to spend it. That's not really my. I mean, I don't have apparently whatever. Lions's problem yeah. is with, Here, all right. with it, Here, but, but it's just that it's just the you know the incongruence between um, that and you know some of you know <laughs> the wealth level of many of Apple's customers right. is a little can be a little bit uh, odd. All right, now here's there's a kernel of truth and accuracy in 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 his article. Uh, his next thing he says, you know how people say that no way would this have happened if Steve were alive and running Apple. Usually those people are full of shit, but this is one case where it's true. No way would Steve have allowed this article to happen. Well, there, that, that sentence I believe is completely true. No way this article happens if Steve jobs is still running Apple. Although I'm not a hundred percent sure whether that's because of Steve or whether that's because of Katie which we can cycle back to <laughs> oh, in yeah. a second. Yeah. Uh, no point. way would he have allowed one of his employees to be deified like this. For that matter, no way would John Ive have dared to ride around with a chauffeur when Steve was alive. And no way would Steve have ever been so vulgar as to be driven around by a chauffeur in a Bentley like a normal, or no, like a modern-day pharaoh. Steve drove his own Mercedes and parked in a handicapped space like a normal sociopath. Um. Well, number one, Steve Jobs. That's a, that's a funny line. Steve Jobs lived in Palo Alto, so he had like a fifteen minute drive to work. Johnny Ive lives in San Francisco, which is a shitty drive. Yeah. It's a, oh, I've yeah. done it because I've stayed in San Francisco for Apple events. It's well over an hour, and especially you know, of course, gets worse at you know like the sort of hour where you go to work because that's what everybody else is doing. Um, it's a terribly it's a terrible drive. I mean, it like once or twice a year for me, it's no big deal. It's something that I would do five or six days a week. It would make you crazy um he's a billionaire like one of the, the two things that came out of this that segment of it one is that parker doesn't mention anything about it and somebody brought this up on twitter a while ago but apple i don't know what the legal things are but for some of their executives they reveal in sec filings what their stock grants are right there was a thing with angela Arntz getting a huge one you know like she got a was well more paid than Tim Cook last year because it was like a one-time, you know, mm -hmm. here's a whole bunch of stock to tempt you to, you know, come from Burberry to Apple. Um, but somebody pointed out that Johnny Ive has never been listed in there. Like, nobody knows what Johnny Ive makes. Nobody knows how much Apple stock he has. It's, it's like, super secretive. Um, but the article clearly, you know, Parker's article, clearly insinuates that 
at one point, Johnny Ive was thinking about leaving Apple. He at least pondered it. Like when he bought, like you said, the 11 bedroom mansion in England. Um, you know, I, it, it, it's in Apple's business. I, I mean, whatever his compensation is, they're keeping it secret. And presumably it is immense. And well, <laughs> right. Like he, yeah, he might be, so. he might be the, you know, I would guess he's showing this some signs that it might be immense. Right. I'm guessing that it's, uh, you know, on par, probably closest only to, you know, Steve Jobs's compensation over the last 15 years, you know, but it's billions, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. which for a company... I don't understand, but I mean, I can't understand how they... I mean, they have to file those things with the SEC. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they filed it a long time ago. I don't know. But there's a mission for listeners of the talk show. If anybody out there can figure out what Johnny Ives' compensation from Apple is and has been, let me know. But as far as I know, it's not... And I don't know. I don't think they have to do it for everybody. There might be like certain legally defined positions like the chief operating officer and the CEO who, oh. who you have to file it for. But I don't think that's possible. Why would it be, you know, why would it be required to reveal the salary of him just because his title is senior vice president? Right. I don't think it is. I don't, I, there's nothing magical about just being a senior vice president. It's just a word. Right, they don't have to reveal the 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 salaries of individual, you know, engineers and designers. Yeah, as far as I know, it's secret, and and I presume uh, immense. It just seems such a bizarre thing for people to get hung up on. Plus, he was in a car accident a long time ago. I don't I forget was that in the article, but there was like a uh, Johnny Ive was in a bad car wreck, um, like a long time ago, like driving a sports car across country. Um, didn't it say this? Oh, yeah. I don't remember that actually, but I've been reading this for a while now. So it's yeah, maybe it's not in this article. Beginning. It might not be in this article, but anyway, you know, it, it just seems, it's almost like the opposite where it seems like it's in Apple's interest to, you know, get him a professional driver. Not that he's a bad driver, but you know, it, it, no, he might like driving fast. Right. Like, like me. You. Right. <laughs> you know what? He should get one of those automatic sticks. <laughs> Stick that. In your yeah. Car. There you go. I don't know if you can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody knows Johnny Ive. They're very reasonably priced. I'm sure he can afford it. If one. anybody knows Johnny Ive, pass along the coupon code talk show <laughs> so that he can save 20 bucks <laughs> on his automatic for his Bentley. And get him a Squarespace, too. Now, I was thinking about the whole, this would, article would not have happened if Steve Jobs was around. And I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that it wouldn't have. And it, it, yeah. it, it's not just that he w- Jobs selfishly wouldn't want to let the attention be on anybody else. He wouldn't have allowed an article like that about himself either. He just, just wasn't right. how he rolled. But I do wonder how much of that was Jobs' own, uh, own choice and how much of it came from Katie Cotton. Yeah. Who was at Apple? Before, you know, she was at Apple the whole time while while Jobs came back. I think she was already there, and you know, he she was one of the ones who Jobs kept, and you know, obviously got very close to and followed her advice, you know, very closely. But I wonder whether she drove that no media policy more than even Jobs did, because at least earlier in his career, Jobs maybe wasn't accessible, but he certainly was occasionally accessible. Yeah. Don't know, but that's, it seems like that's a pretty good, there's a good chance that that's what the case is. Yeah. 
um, uh, it, it's to me that the existence of this article is um, uh, is the biggest sign that Apple is in a new open, more open uh, attitude, yeah. and that Apple PR under um, Steve Dowling is significantly different than Apple PR under Katie Cotton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things that's noted is um, that. I mean, it seems like there are several people. Well, I mean, I guess this is true for most of them. Like, like you said, like Williams, but like the designers that they talked to in the in the uh, the design lab, um, neither of them had spoken to the press before. No, no, it's like they've been been hermetically sealed for. <laughs> it's not fifteen a, years. Their existence <laughs> isn't secret because they show up as a team every couple of years to pick up awards, you know, and black tie type things. And there's pictures and people know who some of them are, but yeah, none of yeah. them have ever spoken to the press before. And here they yeah. spoke fairly openly. Yeah. You know, they even talked about a specific instance of, uh, uh, what was it? There was a, a woman, what was her name? Who, uh, what did she, she would, she had wanted to use what an orange Brown for the interior yeah. of the box for the addition. And, Right. And then even in hindsight now she agrees, oh, that was a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> um, so on. that's, there's a, there's a plus that we know that we know from the article is that uh, if you buy the edition, you'll get a cloth to clean it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an extra thousand dollars right there, right? <laughs> sure. Um, Akana, what's her name? Um, just yeah, switch on brown. Yeah. Yeah, Apple doesn't use a lot of brown. Here's one that I thought was interesting. This is Johnny Ives' team. Team members work 12 hours a day and can't discuss work with friends. Well, I knew they can't discuss their work, but 12 hours a day? Man, that's crazy. Am I lazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. I mean, that seems that seems nuts. 12 hours a day all the time? I mean, it, you get to work at 9 and you don't leave until 9 p.m.? Yeah. Oh, man, that seems crazy. I, I mean, I don't that's know. That's what I, when I worked in Japan, that's what I did. Man, it was salary yeah. man hours. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's what? 12, then followed by 12 hours of boozing, right? So close. <laughs> Suntory time. Some nights. Not, not every night, but Sun some nights. Centauri time. Like a bell rings at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Centauri time. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the ties are loose. And now, we, and now we drink until we throw up on the train on the way home. Uh, each product has a lead designer, but almost everyone contributes to every project and shares the credit. Who had this or that idea? The team. Uh, team meetings are held in the kitchen two or three times a week, and Ive encourages candor. We put... The product, I know it's pronounced candor. Um, we put the product ahead of everything else he said. Let's say we're talking about something that I've done that's ugly and ill-proportioned. Because, believe you me, I can pull some beauties out of the old hat. It's fine. And we all do. And sometimes we do it repeatedly. And we have these seasons of doing it. And then designer Akana says, I had one last week. Which one, he said. The packaging thing, she said. That's true, I've said laughing. It was so bad. She had proposed that an ultra suede cloth inside the box for a gold version of the Apple Watch should be an orangey brown. Ive had objected with comic hyperbole, comparing it to the carpeting in a dismal student apartment. In the same amused spirit, Akana had then asked, so you don't like it? 
Oh man, what else? Speaking uh, speaking of candor, it was an, there was an interesting anecdote or just sort of like a perspective from Ive about Steve Jobs about his brusqueness or or however mm. you want to term it was really more about being trying to be open and direct rather than being cruel or hurtful. Um, and you know, and yeah, sorry, sorry if it does hurt your feelings, but his whole, you know, Ives thought on what jobs intent has, was always to be, uh, to make himself clear as opposed to like really trying to like stick a knife in somebody. Yeah, it wasn't about trying to hurt people's feelings. He wasn't right. he wasn't Chevy and, Chase. And he often hurt <laughs> right. <laughs> he often hurt people's feelings, but it was simply because he didn't want to waste their time it. by not getting right to the heart. Yeah, of- and that was the other yeah, right. And that's the other thing. It was like it was he considered it uh, unfair to them and a waste of their time. Right. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Huh. Uh one of the other people who Parker clearly had significant access to um was Steve Jobs' wife, Laureen Powell Jobs. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, you know, I, I think it backs up the, what, you know, everybody has said that, that, that Johnny and Steve were, were more than just colleagues. They were really, really close friends because she clearly knows him very well. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was there the day that he died. Yeah. That's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. Even if Jobs had rescued, this is following up on your thing about how Jobs had, you know, sort of criticized the way Johnny Ives gave criticism by being too gentle. Even if Jobs had rescued him from vagueness, it was odd for Ives to bring this up now, immediately after I'd learned how to reject a color without causing injury. Uh, and here's a quote from Laureen Powell Jobs. I've seen Johnny deeply frustrated, but I've never seen him rant and rave. Lorraine Powell Jobs said, and she added laughing that she would not have said the same of her husband. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard to imagine I've using a disabled parking spot as Jobs often did (laughs) long before he was unwell. Oh man. What a great article. So many, so much great stuff. Let me see what else I've got in here on it. In in terms of breakfast, he also, he did say, you know, (laughs) um, about the Isaacson book. Oh, my regard, my regard couldn't be any lower. <laughs> yeah. That he read parts of it. And cause I do think that's part of it, honestly. And it's, you know, there were some people when I, when I wrote my piece on the Isaacson book, which was uh, as scathing as I could get, uh, I got, you know, some of the, you get every kind of feedback, but some of the feedback was of sounds like sour grapes to me. Um, and that's not the case at all, right? It's like there was no chance. There's zero zero point zero 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 all the way out zero <laughs> chance that I was going to be selected to write Steve Jobs' authorized biography. I'm not a biographer, right? I mean, I don't write. I've never even written a book. Um, you know, what I've what I've loved to have written a feature article about him, gotten you know some kind of on the record you know, spend a day with Steve Jobs would have loved it would have been amazing would have been maybe the highlight of my career. Um, but I didn't trash the book because I, I didn't write it or because I was jealous. You know, I, I trashed it because it was terrible. I thought, especially about his professional life. And I c- couldn't be more effusively, uh, praiseful of this Ian Parker, New Yorker story, because I think it's right. totally nailed a, a part of Apple that has been largely secret. Yeah. 
Um, let's just take uh, take the third break before we, we'll go back to the article. There okay. was more to talk about, but uh, let me talk about our third sponsor. And it's another longtime good friend of the show, our buddies at Fracture. You guys know Fracture. They're the place that prints your photos directly on glass. You send them digital photos. You pick a size. They mail you back a cardboard thing that you unpack the cardboard, and it is a little frame. You can hang it on the wall. It's a thing you can pop a little little thing out the back, a little uh, kickstand, prop it on your desk or a shelf or a mantle. Um, and the glass, piece of glass where the photo is, your photo is right on the glass. There's not like a piece of paper behind glass. It's right there. You don't have to go out and buy a frame to put this thing in. You don't have to go out and buy a stand to put it on. All comes right in the packaging, and it's just edge to edge. It looks impossible because there's no other way to do that, right? So you have these photos. You can have these photos hanging on your wall with no visible frame around them, just just the photo, edge to edge to edge. And it looks amazing. It is like the most amazing thing. And there's no way you could have done this with traditional framing, you know, of a piece of picture behind a frame. There's just no way you could do it. It looks amazing. People will come in and they'll be like, how do you, how did you do that? And then you'll have to tell them, you have to do the same thing I'm doing now and tell them all about fracture. Um, all sorts of sizes, great prices. It's, it's super great. I don't even know how they charge as little as they do for these things. Um, Great prices. You can just keep going back. Every time you take good pictures, every time you know go on vacation or something like that, send a couple pictures to Fracture and get them, hang them on a wall. Um, it's such a great way to enjoy the best photos that you take. Um, where do you go to find out more? Their website is FractureMe, F-R-A-C-T-U-R-E-Me.com. Just go there and uh, use the code daring fireball and you'll save 15%. So they're already the prices are already low. Use that code daring fireball, you'll save 15%, they're even lower. So go there now. Send them two or three of your favorite pictures that you've taken in the last year. Uh and you'll thank me for it. My thanks to Fracture for supporting the show. Yeah, and they have uh I have a customer service experience with them which was fantastic because last uh, Father's Day, I got a picture for my dad, which was in black and white. It was a picture of my grandfather that I had taken like in like years and years and years ago. Cause you have to go back that far from, I have to go back that far to find a good picture that I've taken. And I, but it was black and white and I wanted, you know, I wanted to get it on a fracture and I hadn't, and I went to their site and I, I was having trouble finding anything that was in black and white. And I wanted to make sure they could do black and white and that it would look good. And, you know, they got, the woman got right back to me and she said, actually, here are some on the site. Um, and she pointed me to where I could see those and said, you know, don't worry, looks great. And my dad just loved it. It's really, so definitely a good company. Good people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a great phrase. Uh, one of my notes is this. I think it's so astute. It's nothing to do with Johnny. I was about Steve Jobs, but he's talking about how Johnny doesn't speak in public, doesn't have to speak in public, just isn't comfortable, but he does the videos. Uh, he appears in those videos. Um, such videos used to punctuate Jobs' onstage message. In the absence of Jobs, they carry the message. Apple's current leaders aren't without public speaking skills, but they can't match Jobs' charisma which was fortified by a hint of menace. I love that phrase. Like <laughs> there was, that is sort of, I've, a hint of menace is absolutely part of Steve Jobs' onstage charisma. It was, it's absolutely true. 
and our performances can evoke the awkward informality, the dancing and lanyards of a corporate retreat. It's a little bit of a zinger there towards, uh, I don't know, Schiller and uh, Federighi, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Sort of the, the humor, maybe. I don't know. But I love that hint of menace about jobs. Such a great, such an astute turn of phrase to describe that. There's a long, there's a lot of talk about the digital, about the crown. Oh, definitely. Um, and how they kind of came up with that. And it, and you brought this issue up the other day. I think like that, uh, most of the other smartwatches have not had that. They've all relied on touch input on the screen, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something I hadn't really noticed. Uh, yeah. And, and there's a bunch of them have a button at the crown traditional crown position, mm-hmm. but it's just a button. It's like a thing you use to wake the phone or to, you know, activate right. something. It's not something you twist like the Apple one. You'll, yeah. you, you'll be, there's no, there's no there's way to use the watch without using spinning the crown repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I'm, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Once these things come out and everybody can try one, it's going to be, there's going to be like an entire week of people talking about how it feels to turn that crown. Cause it is, yeah. it's uh what's the word? Lugubrious. Did you, did you see um, Dan's Dan Morin's piece on six colors about the color? Yeah. I even linked to it inside the crown. Yeah. I linked okay. to that. Yeah. That's yeah. a curious, that's another like head scratcher. <laughs> we talked about it on our podcast. It was very, very weird. I mean, when he pointed that, I was like, oh my God, what the heck is going on there? Right. So if you buy so many shots, so many shots show it with I, a color that matches I, the, I, the band. I, I can confirm that the ones at the hands on all were like that. So if you buy like the edition model with a red leather strap has a red matching red insert in the flat part of the digital crown. And if you buy the edition with a white band it has a white insert but the thing that makes it so confounding is that they also talk about how easy it is to take the bands on and off which makes you instantly think oh well then it's you know they're going to make money it's not going to match anymore right you're going to you know buy you know people with money to burn are going to buy multiple bands (laughs) and you know what else is the point of making it so easy to swap them but then the digital insert won't match them which seems curious like why not just make it a neutral color why not just keep it you know gold yeah and the the sport watch is neutral. It's just the color of the the body. Is it or and is it sa- black? And the same and the same with the with the stainless Apple watch, right? Yeah, stainless one. Yeah. So it's just the addition. Yeah, and it just seems and it I don't know. It just seems weird. I don't know. And there's people yeah. on Twitter who are saying, well, maybe you pop those things out too, and you can pop right. them in. But that that seems like that seems finicky. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, her name was Jody Akana, J O D Y Akana, who is in her thirties, and that she. This is see, this is the sort of detail that Apple never would have revealed before. She's in Johnny Ives' group, and she's unusual be for having a declared specialty color. Yeah, crazy. Like all she does is pick colors. That's sort of like our future role, where we're go- all we're going to do is fake apple <laughs> rumor projects <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a great lab oh my god it'd be so great we'll have like we'll get one of those jetpacks like connery used in thunderball <laughs> right see if we can get people to say that we're working on a on a ours will be more ours will be more of a bar than a lab <laughs> 
<laughs> It'll just be a bar. Let's face it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, we can't we can't let this pass. And I've once sat next to J.J. Abrams at a boozy dinner party oh, in yeah. New York and made what Abrams recalled uh, as, quote, very specific suggestions about the design of lightsabers. A- Abrams <laughs> told me that Star Wars The Force Awakens would reflect those thoughts, but he wouldn't say how. After the release of the film's first trailer, which featured a fiery new lightsaber with a cross guard and a resemblance to a burning crucifix, I asked Ive about his contribution. It was just a conversation, he said, then explained that, although he'd said nothing about cross guards, he had made a case for unevenness. I thought it would be interesting if it were a little less precise and just a little bit more spitty. A redesigned weapon could be more analog and more primitive, and I think in that way somehow more ominous. That's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like, you know, and you know, Kind of, kind of, it almost makes me, I mean, I don't like wonder how self-serving it is, but it sounds like everything that you like about that lightsaber, everything that like, most people seem to like yeah. about that lightsaber is what Johnny said. Yeah. Suggested. And the, <laughs> not the cross card, which most people don't seem to like. Yeah, I'm not bothered by it. I'm not bothered by it either, but you know. All right. A lot of people are. Spitty a dance, a little bit more spitty, and it would make it you know less digital, more analog would make it more ominous. Is is so totally true, and it's so precise, right? Like clearly, I think part of his gift is that he's able to communicate his feelings so well. You know, spitty is such a great word for that. I, oh, it's great, yeah. so great, truly great. Uh, another thing that came out of this was that the the video that unveiled the watch that Johnny Ive narrates that he directed it effectively. I mean, I'm sure not single-handedly, but that it was, you know, that he had, you know, huge, you know, with Parker there that he spent a lot of time in that room editing the video. Mm -hmm. It was pretty good. Yeah. Just not something I would have expected that Johnny Ive had a direct hand in. Uh, Multi-talented. Yeah. I mentioned on the article, the thing I took away from when I linked to it, the one thing I did mention is that it does seem, the article does make it seem like Johnny Ive is spread very thin because he's obviously in charge of all Apple products. One of the products they're coming out with, the Apple Watch, is uh, their first major new product in the post-jobs era, and Johnny Ive is clearly feeling the pressure on that. It, the article makes clear. I mean, I, you know, who, who would have thought otherwise? I mean, it'd be worrisome if it were anything, if he was like nonchalant about it, but it's a lot on his shoulders. Uh, he's working with Angela Arntz on a redesign of all the Apple stores. And he's like the point person leading the, directing the uh, assembly of the new Apple headquarters. I was going to say construction, but they even make a point that the way that they're putting it together is more assembly than construction. So he's got he's got a yeah. worldwide headquarters, a you know, presumably their headquarters for the next fifty years, um, a landmark building. He's got all the Apple stores. He's got the watch and all the other products that they have. Seems <laughs> and he's uh, taken over uh, software design. <laughs> but he works twelve hours. He works twelve hours a day, John. Well, they don't say Johnny works twelve hours a day. <laughs> I bet he. I bet he works a lot more than yeah, that. Yeah, it seems it seems as though he must work more than twelve hours a day. Yeah. Like I don't know that the whole team needs to work twelve hours a day, but yeah, it just seems like all those all those executives are just. I mean, they're basically 
Yeah, I'm sure they take time off for their family and stuff, but I mean, they're kind of on, they're kind of on all the time. Yeah. Well, I think they all have a lot on their plate, and it does. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. I have no doubt that all of them are just naturally hardworking. Yeah. It makes a few passing uh, remarks about how you know he's not always right. Yeah. Um. And I don't. Uh, I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't mention the newsstand icon specifically, but you know, things like that. They did bring up a Parker did bring up the hockey puck mouse, which is something oh. many people always go back to. Yeah. And I always have to mention, I always have to mention that, uh, my wife loved that mouse, loved it. She used it years after her purple iMac had bit the dust. She was still using the purple hockey puck mouse with whatever computer <laughs> she had next. <laughs> So there are people who like that mouse. I mean, my wife wow. has relatively small hands. That might be why. I don't know. I thought I had never met one, but I guess I have. Uh, hockey puck mouse liker. Yeah. I had a pla- I mean, I had. I got one of those plastic things that you clipped on it just to make it feel like a regular mouse. <laughs> why didn't you just buy a new mouse? I don't know. I was an idiot. <laughs> it was cheaper. It was cheaper than buying a new mouse. You know, it's like that was a couple bucks or something. It's like the mouse part worked fine. It was just the fact that I could never tell, you know, like just reaching out blindly and grabbing it. You could never tell which way it was pointed. You have to fiddle with it to get it to to be oriented the right way. Yeah. Here's Bob Mansfield. I, this to me, again, this is insight into the company that to me is unprecedented. And it just drops out in the middle of a random paragraph in the middle of the article. Bob Mansfield, then closely involved in the watch product project. And number one, did we know that before? Did we know that Bob Mansfield was his special no, project? I don't. Well, no. I mean, no. I mean, I think you could you could guess that, right? I don't think it was ever stated explicitly anywhere. Said that Ives' role was to be quote himself and Steve end quote combined. Yet Ives still had to make a case to Apple, and and that's another way I, I have to think that jo- that Johnny Ive is spread thin in addition to just listing all the projects he's working on it's explicitly stated here by Bob Mansfield that his he sees his new role is to be what used to be Steve and Johnny two geniuses is one right it's like you know it, it it's like if the Beatles got back together and Paul had to be John and Paul, right? I mean, it's more, it, but I, it, I'm not even making a joke. I mean, it's, it, wouldn't you feel if you've personally felt that it was your job to, to be Steve jobs, in addition to everything you yourself had already done. I mean, that's, that's a burden. I mean, that is, a, yeah. that is a serious, serious weight on your psyche. Um, it wasn't, uh, that he met a lot. This is about whether or not they should do a watch and that Ma- Mansfield recalled quote, a lot of resistance. It wasn't clear how the company would display such things in stores. There were also concerns about creating a divide between wealthy and less wealthy customers. As Manfield said, Apple wants to build products for everybody, but I've won the argument. And in 2013, the company announced the high level appointments of Angela Arntz, blah, blah, blah. And the other luxury right. people. Right. Um, you know, I don't think, I think that's sort of, that. that's exactly what I, my vague second, third hand understanding of the story behind the watches and the story of Johnny Ives role in the post jobs Apple. But here's, you know, Bob Mansfield confirming it on the record in the New Yorker, you know, that there will, yeah. you know, and exactly what everybody thinks, like just, the, you know, 
Apple fans clucking on Twitter, you know, that isn't it weird that Apple is making this product that is so crazy differentiated, you know, by a factor of 10 in price between the 350 Sport and the multi-thousand dollar thing, and that there were people in Apple who it would, you know, at high level within Apple, like decision making level within Apple, who obviously said the same things and had the same concerns. And they're, I don't think they're wrong. I think those are valid concerns. I don't think they're wrong to do it, but it is something that you should be concerned about. Yeah. Well, it's something to keep an eye on, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. it, in a sense, you know, and, and, you know, uh, it, I, it would have fallen on Johnny Ive's shoulders no matter what. The success or if it's not a success of Apple Watch is going to fall on his shoulders anyway. But with this article, it's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Right. The article, I mean, almost expressly just says the watch is Johnny Ives thing. Well, the certainly, certainly the luxury aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that too. That's like, that's just, I don't know, third hand, fourth hand, but I have heard that very specifically the gold thing met a lot of resistance within Apple and that like from all sorts of places, you know, um, um, because like even like the legal department had to get involved and you know you, you know you can't call it 18 karat gold unless it's truly 18 karat gold and you know it's all sorts of, you know there's it was a huge huge thing within apple and it was johnny who you know said trust me more or less yeah. you know who's uh, not mentioned in here at all who is not mentioned in here at all scott forstall no not mentioned at all yeah i think obliquely mentioned a couple of times. Yeah. And I think there's a couple references to like, and I think Mansfield makes, makes some reference to how he, Johnny could get along with other people better than he could. Yeah. Well, no, that he ran interference with Steve, right? Isn't that what Mansfield? Yeah. Said? Yeah. But he, but he also just said like people who are, um, you know, kind of, more brusque. Yeah, here we go. So, uh, Bob Mansfield, a former senior hardware engineer at Apple who is now semi-retired, recently described the peak that some colleagues, that P-I-Q-U-E, that some colleagues felt about Ives' privileged access. As he put it, quote, there's always some, always going to be someone vying for dad's attention. But Mansfield was grateful for Ives' cool handling of a CEO who was, quote, not the easiest guy to please. (laughs) Mansfield's view was, Johnny puts up with a lot, and as a result of him doing it, people like me don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. You get the feeling that that would, with Forstall, personality-wise. And again, you know... uh, I think it was a personality more than anything else. I don't think, you know, I think it was more than whether you think that that Game Center should have a felt background or, you know, oh, a yeah. plain one. It's the personality. And I've, you know, wasn't it Mansfield who the word was that Mansfield was like, I'm not, I'm not taking a meeting with this guy anymore. Like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Or like he wouldn't take a meeting with him unless like jobs was. Yeah. I mean, and I thought that was one of the reasons why he had basically announced his retirement right. and then decided to come back in or cook in or like, more like limited. Like yeah, he won't, capacity. he won't be in a room with Scott Forstall unless cook was in the room and cook I, yeah, and cook was right, like, right, I can't, right, you know, right. I cannot have this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Tim cook might have some stuff to do. <laughs> he might be busy. Tim cook might work 12 hours a day. 12. Tim cook might work 12 hours a morning. <laughs> 
There was a great quote from... Uh, There's a guy who needs a watch. Yeah. <laughs> there was a great quote here from Cook, which to me shows... I think it's one of the loosest quotes I've ever heard from Tim Cook. Because Tim Cook is... He's like a machine with talking points. You know, I, I, he... he I think he's always very honest. I really do. I think he's very honest and very sincere. But I, it's so hard to see him in an interview and not see that everything he said, he's already anticipated. You know, the Charlie Rose interview is the closest because it was the longest. But he says here in the New Yorker story, under Cook, Apple has experimented with a softer, less neurotic image and has, among other things, strived to improve its performance as a proxy employer of overseas factory workers. It's determined to make the case, as Cook puts it, that the company's leaders shouldn't be thought of as, quote, greedy bastards looking for more money. But then in reference to to the the new campus parker points out a, a private walled garden costing an estimated five billion dollars may not catch this mood but i do think i think that's such a loose quote from cook and i think he truly means it but it's like you know i i think in tim cook's world bastards is a really that's a hard word yeah <laughs> i don't <laughs> he drops a i think he drops an f-bomb in there someplace too cook I thought so. Oh, I don't think so. Really? No. The only... Grinier says it. No, there's the only F surf no. from... okay. And when he first... Yeah, no, I guess not. I guess Johnny not. Ive, when he oh. first met... The first time he met Steve Jobs when he visited the, the design studio and s- saw that they had cool stuff, but that they hadn't been able to ship it, <laughs> yeah. told Johnny Ive, fuck, you've not been very effective, have you? <laughs> what a great article honest to god everybody out there if you have not read this article yet you are out of your minds because i if you have enough interest in apple to listen to this podcast this article is so right up your alley i'm gonna just assume that everybody um yeah yeah i mean the thing like one of the things is you could it can come across snooty or it can come across classist or it can come across um, elitist or however you want to put it. But the thing that definitely shines through is simply how much he cares about design and how much he cares about what he's doing there. Yeah. And I think, and you know, I think the watch is a sign of that, um, that, and Cook has alluded to this. I think Cook has alluded to it very broadly, but that Apple is is about not about making computers. It's about making good things that make people's lives better. And that could be anything in the long run. Like in terms of and I think just like Tim Cook, I think Johnny Ive and and I you know as I've written about Steve Jobs you know that his greatest creation was the company Apple itself no not one of the products um, that as an institution you know it's the future who knows what they'll be making you know but that that yeah. that he cares very deeply about creating a you know uh, a system and a pattern that they can get involved in you know who knows what in the future yeah and it contrasts with um, is it. I thought it was Brunner. Yeah, Brunner. Um, soon after the iPhone debuted, Brunner said Ammunition, which is the company that he was working at, was approached by a very large Korean company <laughs> to create a touchscreen competitor. They wanted us to do it in six weeks, he laughed. We were like, 
You don't realize this was years? This was years of a lot of very good people. I wonder what company it was. I guess I, it I really don't I really hard to say. I guess it I guess it could have been LG, but it's pretty clearly Samsung. Yeah, they do talk they talk about LG earlier, yeah. but yeah, it doesn't <laughs> We would like something like this and we would like it in <laughs> We would like it in 6 weeks. Yeah, let's just slap something together. Oh, uh, all right. Last thing. I'll just look at Apple's. I'm looking at Apple's executive bios. So there's 14 SVPs or above. Uh, they talked to Cook. And they talked to obviously Johnny, and they talked to Jeff Williams. But there, and who knows? Maybe he talked to other people, and they're just quotes they just didn't make didn't it. Use it yeah. But no Eddie Q, no Federighi. No Luca Maestri. Luca, he's what is he? CFO? Well, there's no right. He talked to the yeah, CFO. That was much, yeah. Dan Ricci gets mentioned. Riccio, right. hardware engineering, where they were talking, but it wasn't a quote. It was just like a story about an, you know, like an engineering hassle. And uh, right. no Bruce Sewell, but why would you talk to a lawyer? God, Bruce Sewell is probably just sweating over this article. <laughs> God. Bruce Sewell, you wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. Bruce Sewell told me, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You better watch what you write. <laughs> uh, and no Schiller. Uh, but again, I'm not surprised by any of that. I am a little surprised by they talked to Jeff Williams. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why operations would rate and, you know, uh, marketing or software engineering wouldn't, you know. But, and, you know, like, who knows? He maybe talked to Federighi extensively and just... I mean, I mean, maybe he felt that he was getting... I mean, the the Williams anecdotes are interesting. Yeah. Just, I mean, because of the way he's reticent to talk. And and then, uh, you know, maybe you talked to Schiller and he just felt like he was getting sprayed in the face with a fire hose of marketing stuff. Yeah, maybe. Could be. Uh, anyway, that feels like a show. John Moltz, yeah. uh, I thank you. Thank you. Uh, people can get... All the molts they want. <laughs> by driving by my house. Driving by his house. Uh, <laughs> look for his new car. Don't key it up. <laughs> please. Uh, please do not key my car. Uh, and you got the at molts Twitter account. And you've got your uh, very nice website. Correct. Dot net. Very nice website. Dot net. Dot net. And now you're on about eight different podcasts. I, I am. You've got, I'm working on another one. Actually, oh no, shocker! There, are you kidding me? Yeah, right. Are you kidding right. me? How do you do I, it? I'm, I'm exhausted <laughs> doing this one show a week. Exhausted. <laughs> Did I have? A, well, well, this is two shows worth. Have I mentioned that I'm, I'm apparently not a very hard worker? <laughs> <laughs> you should see me. I this should be like a video show. You saying that you're going to do another podcast. I slumped. I visibly slumped. It was like the air got let out of me. Well, and I don't have to do the show. So Okay, well, so my other two podcasts, my the tr- Turning This Car Around right. and uh, The Rebound, both of both of them are like less than an hour. Okay. So that's, you know, that's your talk show right there. There we go. Because this is approaching two hours now. And then the other one is just something that I'm doing for fun that will never make any money. So <laughs> it will never have advertisers. It's just like, it's going to be hanging out with... Uh, if it ever comes to fruition, it's going to be hanging out with a couple of dudes talking about comic book TV shows. <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> we'll have you on. Uh, all right. That's great. I'm hanging up. 